nonlinear careers are they're not like people aren't proud of nonlinear careers when you change your mind you're a flip-flopper when you have to have a new strategy it's like oh you pivoted it's like why, why couldn't that just be the process the process like the the what is understood as like the successful version of the process was like you stated a destination and you arrived at that destination like i want my flights to be that way you know i want like my i want ways to work that way you know, honestly, sometimes uh, even ways, like when it gives me a detour and like I, find, I take some little side route, that's actually like I found the most cool restaurant that I would have never found. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think that I'm, I'm using sort of society as a just sort of like whatever, like the doesn't really allow for that. Welcome back to the Career Therapy Podcast, where we help professionals navigate the emotional and promotional sides of the job search in order to stress less and earn more in their careers. My name is Martin McGovern, founder and lead coach at Career Therapy, and I'm excited to introduce our guest today. Please welcome David Fano to the podcast. David is the founder and CEO at Teal, empowering people to build fulfilling careers and previously he has been the CGO at WeWork, co-founder of Case, and an adjunct at Columbia University. He's on a mission to provide job seekers with the resources to build a meaningful career. And in today's convo, we talk about how to find a company that shares your values, what realistic expectations we should have around meaningful work, and what are the dangers of being vulnerable in your job search. If you like this show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps spread the word and help more job seekers build amazing careers. And be sure to connect with David in the links below. That's all for the intro today. So without further ado, here is my convo with David Fano. Today's Career Therapy podcast is sponsored by Career Therapy. Go figure. Our Unstuck coaching program provides you with the month-by-month -month support that you need to successfully navigate your job search. Each month, you will receive two 30-minute one-on-one coaching calls, unlimited Slack and email chats between calls, invitations to bi-weekly group coaching sessions with other seekers, and access to our eight-part curriculum. With our flexible month-by-month -month schedule, you also have the ability to cancel at any time with no long-term commitments. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand in your search, head over to careertherapy.com and click the button on the homepage to reserve a free 15-minute consultation with me to see if coaching is right for you. Wishing you all the best. Thank you for tuning in. Now back to the show. We've sort of been LinkedIn connected for a while and going back and forth and uh, you know, Caesar, who was on the podcast, uh, worked with you. And, um, and I know that I did the teal, uh, like personality work kind of test and everything like yeah, that. Yeah, that was like, awesome. Yeah. And so, you know, we've kind of been orbiting each other for a while. And so I've, I've really been admiring you from afar. And I think that, um, I'm excited today to talk about, you know, meaningful work and what does that actually mean? Right. Like, I, I feel like a lot of folks are just sort of, there seems to be a bit of a disconnect between a lot of what is said on the internet and what reality looks like for people. So um, I'm curious, like, are there any other thoughts you have like around that topic that um, maybe you've been thinking about lately or uh, would be fun? Oh, so many. Okay. Um, like one is like almost like at an existential level is like, can you know it in the moment or can you only know it after? Ooh, I like that. Like I had someone I worked with is like the thing about fulfillment is that you can only know it post facto was like his term and like is fulfilling work in the moment fulfilling because his observation, his name is Tommy Dyer, super smart guy. Um, I just want to make sure I don't take credit for his smart thoughts <laughs> was that like a lot of the stuff when you look back and it was like really fulfilling and rewarding sucked in the moment. Mm. But when you come out of it, you're like, wow, I'm exhausted. That was hard. But damn, I feel proud of the work I did. And so that's kind of like one of my thoughts is like, can you really know in the moment? And, you know, we can define like the moment as like literally in the moment or is it like at the end of the day, it's like, wow, that was an awesome day of work. Or can you like, at once like, wow, this work is amazing. I love what I'm doing right now. And I'm sure you and I have had both had those experiences where we have. 
but is that like rare and like something difficult to strive for to say, look, am I being challenged? And like, what are the attributes of work that will be fulfilling? But it's hard to tell in the moment if it is fulfilling. Yeah, I love that because it really brings up this um, idea that I've been chewing on a lot lately, which is like, I feel like people, we have these ideas of what we want. Um, and sometimes I get the feeling that it's almost that sort of teenage girl list of her future husband kind of a thing, right? Where it's like, here's what I think I want, right? Um, but that's not how people phrase it. They phrase it as this is what I want. And I, whenever I hear someone speak that assuredly, sh- that confidently, I start to go, is it though? Like, how do you know? Because what people think they want and then what actually makes them happy quite often are not the same thing. And so I love what you're saying here, where it's like in the moment, you might be striving for one goal and end up in a completely different place. And entrepreneurs know this so well, right? You like, you go after one thing, you realize it's wrong, you end up in a different place and it's actually better. Um, And so, so much of life I think is random in that way, um, where I think the pressure of the internet is to like, know it before you do it, right? Know what is meaningful to you before you've ever even gotten a job. Know what your passion is before you've ever done any work. Know what your ideal situation is. And I just tend to feel like it sets people up for sort of what you're talking about, the existential crisis kind of piece, or just maybe even dissatisfaction once they do get a job and are kind of pushed up against the harsh reality of things. Um, what are your thoughts around that? I, I agree. And I, I think that's it. I'm, I want, I've been thinking a lot about this lately is what is like the root of it? And I think like societally, we don't really allow people to change their mind. So I really like Adam Grant's latest book, um, Think Again, because we don't, right? It's like nonlinear careers are, they're not like people aren't proud of nonlinear careers, right? When you change your mind, you're a flip-flopper. You know, when when you have to have a new strategy, it's like, oh, you pivoted. It's like, why, why couldn't that just be the process? Right. It's like the, the process, like the, the, what is understood as like the successful version of the process was like you stayed at a destination and you arrived at that destination. But that's almost, you know, that like I want my flights to be that way. You know, I want like my, I want ways to work that way. But, you know, honestly, sometimes uh, even ways, like when it gives me a detour and like I find, I take some little side route, that's actually like I found the most cool restaurant that I would have never found. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that. I'm using sort of society as a just sort of like whatever, like the doesn't really allow for that. It's like, oh, well, then you're unsure of yourself. And so if we go at the the sort of core of that is I think we do reward confidence, right? I mean, you and I work with job seekers. And I tell people like the most important thing is be confident. Mm -hmm. And I I said this yesterday when I was talking to someone, I was like, I love Brene Brown. I wish I could like inject it into everyone's brain and subconscious. But if I go and I'm like vulnerable in a job interview, the chances of me being hired are like zero. Right. And so I don't think that we generally, like I think as a species, we're attracted to confidence. Um, And I think that, so all that sort of like unpacking what we said, it's like I stayed a destination and I got to achieve that destination because that's what successful people do versus sort of embracing the unknown of it, um, sort of projecting an unsure sort of state and being like, look, I don't know where it's going to take me. And I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of like, go with where the wind takes me. It's like, well, that person, you know, they don't know what they're doing. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. actually they have like the most confidence out of anybody because they're okay that like life's going to present them things and they're going to figure it out. And, but I just don't think we're there. And especially when it comes to careers and, you know, all the other complexities that come with careers and picking an education and how we're judged for those things. And I just think there's a tension there between like what people really want and then what they think they want or what they think the world wants of them so that they have to put out there. That's the bigger thing, right? What does the world want from you? And like that constant me versus the world sort of expectation tension is so interesting. What was it like for you? Um, how did your career sort of begin? What were your maybe future views of what you would be by this point in your life? And, and how radically different is it than what you originally thought? 
So, you know, I, I don't think I ever really had like long-term career ambitions. Um, I've, I got to see my dad live a life. Cause I think we're so kind of affected by what we grow up in. You know, I, I sort of compare my wife and mine's upbringings, mm. you know, her, her parents are, have been together for 50 years. They lived like, they weren't, they like didn't use credit, right? Like everything was owned. It was just kind of like the way they approached life. My dad, you know, Cuban immigrant got here when he was 11. Like I think started using credit the second he could. It was just like, look, I'm, I'm gonna, whatever I got to do to live life to the fullest, I'm going to do it. I'll figure out how I pay for it later. Mm-hmm. It's worked out away for Okay. For him, obviously there's lots of stories where folks that didn't work out for. Okay. But he, it, I think it was at, a, at the core is like his, um, his comfort with risk. In a very high level of comfort with risk, whether it was his upbringing or it's his personality, who knows? Um, but he had a high level of comfort with risk, and so I got I observed a high level of comfort with risk, and a like pretty much a a sense of like I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So if he wanted to take a vacation, we took a vacation. If we wanted to go away for two weeks in the summer, we t- you know he worked his tail off to be able to make that happen. So for me, it was just like. All right, well, I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. You know, if I want to buy a nice camera so I have a fuzzy background, I want to be able to do that. You know, and you know, that's just like I want to go crazy on BH and buy stuff. And, you know, so for me, it was always like working my way backwards from I want these experiences and I want to be unencumbered in my ability to pursue these experiences. And the thing that does that is money. So I got to work and I got to work in a way that enables me to make money. So I've always kind of pursued money but as an enabler for experiences. And it was less like the money itself, but it's like what money allowed me to do. And, you know, so, so my career was always just, you know, as a young kid, I figured out ways you know, I'd buy and sell comic books. And then I'd, you know, uh, I was pretty good at drawing. I started making paintings and then I could sell the paintings. And then from there, you know, in, in undergrad, I made a small web development agency. And it's not because I had like a dream to be entrepreneurial. It's like, I just kind of want to be able to do whatever I want. And that was the way for me to do it. And then, you know, that, that pattern actually just like continued in grad school. I started doing 3d modeling as a freelancer. And then, then I went to, you know, then after that, I worked at an architecture firm, felt a little sort of stunted there, started my own business with him, with some friends, you know, sold that company to WeWork, had a lot of fun. There was quite autonomous. It got big and a little difficult for me left, started a new company. So it's always just kind of been about a pursuit of autonomy for me, I guess. I really like that, especially because the entrepreneurial mindset is one that we can learn so much from in the job search. Um, Because, you know, what I'm hearing here is there's a knowledge of the impact that the work you're doing is going to have, right? Some like it has to be worthwhile for someone to pay for, right? So even when you're selling a comic book, someone wants to read that comic book. That's why you're able to sell it for a profit, right? And so one of the breakdowns I think that happens, and this is sort of, I do think sort of a societal, maybe it's, I don't know if it's societal or social media, like that's just like the micro society of social media, but like the, um, the heavy focus on like, be yourself, live your truth, find your passion, all those different things. I think it sort of muddles the other side of it, um, which is that connection to what other people need, right? Because everything should be a relationship, even even business, right? And so what you said here, it's like, so much of the conversation is about owning yourself and doing what you want to do. But how do we pair that sort of self-focus or share that self-focus with a them focus and like understanding their goals as well? Like, how did you sort of as you tried each of your entrepreneurial ventures, how did your mindset evolve around value exchange? But I think it was, it was, it was sort of underpinned by this idea of wanting to do whatever I want. And the thing that unlocks that is money for me, right? Cause I could have said, I'm going to go be a Buddhist monk and sure. like money was a non-issue. So in my case, that's not where I wanted to go. I wanted to do things that were experiential, but you know, that I knew cost money and that was my way to get to it. Um, just want to make sure it's not money's not always the answer, but in my case, I was comfortable with that. And, and so I knew that the things I wanted to do had to kind of check both boxes of things that I was excited about doing, but that there was also a market for. And the more I could find, you know, get those two things to be in sync, 
well, then I could really be having fun, right? And that's why I like working. So I try to find things that I enjoy doing. And it can, it's, uh, you know, it's, you know, there's not necessarily a prescribed order. You could find something you really like doing and then find a market for, or you could find a market and then look for work that you really like doing in that market. But I think it's understanding that those two things need to be present for there to be, for, for you know, for that dynamic to exist. And I think at the end of the day, like, that is core in having a job. And I think a lot of times people sacrifice one of those two things. They're like, you know, and that's, you know, people like Cal Newport call out passions. I'm not as hung up on like whether you're pursuing your passion or not. Same. It's like, look, you like doing the work, whether you're passionate about it or not. I don't know. It's enjoyable. Like I'm not dreading going to work. I don't wake up in the morning and be like, wow, I don't ever want to do this again in my life. That's bad, you know, and then I can actually get paid for it. And I think a lot of people say, well, I got to compromise on income because, you know, so I can do work that I'm passionate about or that I love doing, or I got to do really work that I don't enjoy at all so I can make a lot of money. And look, I mean, I, I want to be sensitive to the fact that that's not available to everybody, but I do think like with the right work, it's possible for a lot of people. I like how you phrase that. I, I want to be sensitive to the fact that's not possible for everybody because I do think that there's um, there's this really interesting kind of unspoken, I mean, the over overused word is like privilege, right? Like it's, it's uh, or entitlement is like the, the sort of cynical way to talk about it, right? So on one hand, you've got people saying, you know, you should live your truth and you should be passionate and you deserve to be passionate about what you're doing, regardless of thinking about the other people, regardless of thinking about the value that it brings people and things like that. And then the other side is like, these people are so entitled because they don't really understand like how their passions connect to like the economy, right? And so um, one of the things that I, I think is so interesting is this sort of, I feel like folks get into this place sometimes when they're too steeped in the career development world um, and learning how to do the job search where they kind of lose touch with reality in some ways. And they start talking about things that are more things you earn than things that you deserve. And I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts around the entitlement side of things where it's like, um, I, I put up a post on LinkedIn the other day saying, you know, people expect more from their job than uh, their parents. Like, they're like, I want my job to pay me an incredible salary. I want hundred K and I want to love all my coworkers. And I want to be able to work however I want to work whenever I want to work. And I want to be able to do X, Y. It's like the list goes on and on. And I don't think any individual thing on the list is necessarily bad. It's just when you think you deserve all of it without giving anything up. Like, I feel like there might be some compromises in there. There might be some give and take in there. What do you sort of think when you're talking to people and they maybe have a laundry list that's a bit too rosy uh, about what their career should look like. What would you say to them? Yeah, it's, um, I think about this a lot, you know, cause I'm trying to build a company that is very much like, you know, on the employee side and it's got this strong employee centricity. And there's a part of me that says like, yeah, whatever they want, it's my job to enable that. Yeah. And then I'm also trying to start a company that, you know, every day the oxygen's running out of the tank and I got to make money. And it's like, well, okay, you know, so that's the, the, the pure business side. And how do I reconcile those two things? Um, and what I, what I try to encourage people to do is like really, it's a commercial relationship. I say, look, there's this conflation that happens with, I'll call it like full-time employment. Because if someone's like a consultant or a freelancer, for some reason, they have a different mindset than when they're in full-time employment. But when you're in full-time employment and working under this contractual relationship we call a salary, people have like a different set of expectations. But it's like, at the end of the day, it's a commercial relationship. Your relationship with your manager, that's a personal relationship. And you should nurture that. And, you know, but your relationship with Acme Corp, that's a commercial relationship. And they need to make money. We work in a society that drives on currency and money and the exchange of money. If you want to go work in a nonprofit, that's got other issues. But, you know, maybe they're motivated by different things. But at the end of the day, a company exists to make money. Ideally, they do other things. But if they're not making money, they can't continue to exist. So it is this, like, 
very practical thing. And I think, you know, we're in a moment right now where like the labor market is sort of not in a state of equilibrium. And I don't think it ever is. Um, and especially, you know, at, a, at an occupation level, right? Some occupations have higher demand than others. And, you know, that's what makes it really interesting. But I think some people kind of lose sight of the fact that companies need to make money. And there may be some companies that were in a place where they could sort of throw that off in a way and offer all sorts of crazy things. And, and look, maybe they're playing the long game and it works out amazing for them. But some of that stuff's hard. And so to, you know, to think that a company has to provide all those things, like they also don't do it like altruistically. They're doing it because they're making some kind of empirical bet that, okay, that increases retention, you know, which then reduces their need to like recruit. At the end of the day, you got to be able to distill it down to like these empirical decisions. And I think people really struggle with that. And, and they kind of conflate the emotional and the personal with at the end of the day, you can bring it all down to like very practical, like computational problems. I love that you're talking about the practical side here. Cause I think, especially when you're a job seeker, you don't really understand the pressures that are happening within a company. Um, you know, there's tends to be this sort of idea that companies are just these like unlimited money machines that give people jobs in order to help the economy or something like that. And, and it's, it's funny because it's like, you know, I always say to people, I'm like, companies aren't sitting around going, wow, look at this excess pile of money we have. We should give someone an opportunity there. There's, <laughs> it, it's very different. It's like, they're sitting there going, oh my God, this is breaking. Oh my God, our customers are unhappy. Oh my God, we are growing too fast. Oh my, it's like always coming from a place of kind of emergency or fear or risk management or something along those lines, right? Like I work with a lot of cybersecurity people and I'm like, companies aren't hiring you because they just want to be like fun and cool with cyber. Like they're hiring you because there's a security issue that they're worried about or someone got hacked. And when people go into these interviews, they're, they're like, I can't believe this person didn't read my resume. I can't believe this person. It's like, well, of course they didn't read your resume. They, they were in another meeting and they got pulled out of that meeting to interview you because there weren't enough people on staff to run the interviews. Like I always try and assume, you know, the person is more stressed out than just being a jerk or something like that. And I'm kind of curious from, you know, a serial entrepreneur point of view, I love that you break it down. into like, Yes, companies do want to offer benefits and they do want to pay you well, but it's always from a practical place, right? They don't want to pay you too much because it'll make other people in the company unhappy if they find out you're making that much more. And they don't want to pay you too little because then you'll quit, right? And so it's this, it's this window that you're trying to operate in. What are some of the things that people who are trying to find jobs just don't understand or maybe haven't had that window opened up a little bit? of what is happening inside of a business? Like, what does it look like to build a business and, and bring people on? What is that process like for a business owner? Yeah, it's, it, and you know, and I've also like, from a leadership perspective, I've tried some experiments where I expose the staff to some of this stuff. And like the reason, like, if we think about it, just like from a job perspective, there's a reason they chose not to start a company. Like forget like the heroism of entrepreneurialism and stuff, which I don't, I don't think is helpful for anybody. But if we just think about it as a pure job type and a job description, there's a different level of stress and anxiety that comes with that job, right? Because then, you know, having a salary and knowing that, you know, at least thinking that the company is going to be there, right? I'm electing into not having to deal with that. Mm -hmm. So like one thing I did for a while was I exposed everyone how much money we had in the bank. And it was never... I mean, never, ever less than a year of it running out. But even if it was when it was two years, people, like it was just stressful knowing that there was a day when it ran out. Yeah. Like, but for every, no company has infinite money. Even Google and Apple, there's a day when it runs out, right? Like if they stopped making revenue, which is the way that I talked about it. And that's just kind of like what I go to bed with every night. You know, you run your own company now. Like you, you know, you think about that all the time. But yeah. that doesn't mean that everyone wants to think about that. And, and so that's what I, you know, even like in a negotiation, it's like, well, this, you know, it's like, it's not fair guys. And it's like, it's not about fairness. It's about think about the dynamics of their business. This is how much money they make. This is, you know, this is cost. 
you know, look at their revenue, look at their employee count. You can start to probably compute, you know, what their revenue per employee is. And they pro someone there has a formula that's got to be like three to one. And so it, it's not about like, oh, they're trying to hold me back. And this is why a lot of these things are, I think aren't helpful when we do a lot of this like benchmarking and reporting out there because each company is so unique and so different. What I do think is helpful is when it's contextualized within a company and they show inequality between certain demographics within one company. I think that's super helpful because you're obviously there's something wrong. But at the macro, it's hard. Every occupation, you know, take a product manager, a product manager that works like at a publishing company versus working at Google, comp comparison between those two are just fundamentally different, you know? Um, and so what I try to encourage people to do is like understand that business, right? And I, I really try to teach people to think about job searching as sales. And when you are a good salesperson, you need to understand your customer in and out, right? What are the things, what are their problems? What are their issues? But for some reason, when it comes to job searching, to your point, it's like, well, they'd be lucky to have me. Look, they, they probably would be lucky to have you, you know? But that doesn't mean that you still have to like go in and sell and like understand and how to deliver good services. And so it's an interesting thing. And you kind of see that dynamic. It just, I think it goes back to a lot of people taking it very personal because our career is one of the, the most foundational things in our identity. And our identity is really all we have today. Like, and, and that's what we're kind of like managing and preserving. And when that gets under attack, the amygdala like fires and we start to feel really bad about ourselves because we don't really have, I'd say like from a, if we go back to like, you know, when we were cave people, you know, the, the, the life or death situations are not the same, right? It's not like, Oh, I'm going to go outside and saber tooth tiger is going to eat me. It's like, is my identity under attack? And that is like life or death at this point. And so I think we take these things incredibly personal when someone doesn't write me back, I put myself out there and now I feel really bad and I was rejected and, and, and all those things have merit. I'm not in any way trying to discount them, but given like how sort of lucky and privileged a lot of us are at this point, you know, and that like life is pretty awesome. Like I'm talking, I'm not even sure where you are in the country and it didn't even cross <laughs> my mind because we get to talk like we're sitting next to each other. Right. How awesome is that? <laughs> you know, That's so cool. Yeah, and I love what you're saying here because that is kind of fundamentally what we're talking about here. When we talk about meaning and finding a meaningful career, what job seekers interpret that as is, you know, an expression of their identity, right? And there's a lot of ways that that can be positive and a lot of ways that that can be negative. And, you know, I put a post up on LinkedIn the other day that said, um, Make sure you have something going on outside of your job so that if you lose your job, you don't yep. lose your whole identity. And I think that that's, obviously there's nuance there. And of course, like if you're an entrepreneur, it's going to be pretty hard to separate your life from your job, right? But- I have um, some kids. That's a good yeah, way to do it. Yeah, kids are a great <laughs> way to do it, right? Family. And like, but I do think that there's this sort of, um, this- this what, what you're talking about where people put their identity and their career so intertwined and, and another way I've heard I've, I've expressed this before is like when we talk about salaries of people a lot of times people say I deserve to be paid x amount of dollars right and I whenever I hear that I just imagine an entrepreneur saying that and how ridiculous of a statement it would be coming from a business owner I deserve to have this many clients what? Like you're building a company, you get as many clients as you earn, not as many clients as you deserve, right? And I guess you get into the nuance of that. But the this idea of like, our salary is our self worth, our job is our identity. Um, when we are helping people build meaningful careers, because I do think that you can have a meaningful career without it completely taking over your life or completely merging with your identity what are some of your thoughts around like how people can better differentiate between who they are as a person and who they are in their career or what their career is separate from their identity where where can we start maybe drawing boundaries or lines or helping people better balance these two sort of fundamental sides I think all those things that you cited are 
proxies for wanting to be wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I've been thinking a lot about this and like why I actually think job searching is one of the most like emotionally taxing things that a person can do. Um, because we are like, e- e- worse than dating, right? I mean, because it's like, at least I have some, some decision in that. It's so one-sided on the job searching. And there's some people who get like heavily recruited if they're like an amazing AI engineer or something, right? But for the majority of the people, let's say, this, this like subjecting yourself to constant rejection. And if you're employed while you're doing it, you can't even be that vocal about wanting help because it presents this life or death sort of threat in that your livelihood can be taken away, right? If my current employer finds out I'm job searching, again, going back to it being pragmatic and practical, well, shoot, as a business owner, if I know that one of my people is looking to leave, the first thing I got to do is because I got to protect the business is I got to go find a replacement. And so I don't even know if there's an answer to it, right? Because it, just like from a pure dollars and cents perspective, it is risky for the business. Like they've got to do what they've got to do to backfill that person. So it is just kind of, it's, it's more, it's very fundamental in the this sort of like employer-employee relationship that we've got as a system now. Um, but that said, it doesn't take away from the fact that it's super stressful. And so I now need to like in this clandestine way, you know, subject myself to rejection, find the time to do it, you know, grapple with the fact that I, I don't love the situation I'm in. Also, then the I would say is like the, um, I'll go keep using societal, like societal shaming of ambition. It's like, well, you've, you've got a great job. Like, why do you, why do you want to switch jobs? Like, you got a great steady paycheck. You don't even work that hard. Like, it's great. And it's like, now why are you making me feel bad about like wanting to grow, right? It's like, yeah, that stuff is right. You're, you're right. Objectively, it's good, but I'm unhappy. So now you're like shaming me because I want to pursue happiness. And so it's just very, very, very complicated because I don't think it's actually one of those areas in life where you can be vulnerable, where there are these support infrastructures, um, like, you know, other complex emotional topics. And so, I, yeah, I mean, you know, how does I get why people feel the way they feel. I don't have like a silver bullet for it. Um, what I can, you know, kind of, if it can be intrinsically driven, right? If, if they can really give themselves permission to say, look, this is the stuff I want and I'm just not going to care what the world thinks. I say that recognizing how hard it is. Um, then I think they start to get to this place of being comfort- comfortable with like the iteration and the potential, what I'll call failure, even though it's not, like it's called growth opportunities that come along the way at, to kind of iterate on the experiences that are the things that they enjoy doing because they just don't know in advance because they haven't, haven't experienced it yet. Right, right. And that I think is one of the big things, right? The job search comes along so rarely in some cases, um, sometimes every four years on average, sometimes every 20 years, if you've been at a company a while, that it really does sort of send people into existential spirals. And I think, I think what you hit on, and you've said this word a few times, but the vulnerability piece, I think is such an interesting area to talk about because like you said, this is all so complex. We're not going to have a silver bullet answer here. Unfortunately, a lot of people in the world say they have a silver bullet answer for people. Right. (laughs) And one of the things that is being touted is you should be allowed to be vulnerable. You deserve to be allowed to be vulnerable. And some of these statements I agree with as statements. Yes, you should be allowed to be vulnerable. But what does that actually look like? I feel like there's such a big disconnect between what people say should happen in the world and what that actually looks like in practice. Um, Just like everyone should be able to, I don't know, get an education, go to college, whatever, but then there's like a hundred different ways to solve it, right? And so um, with the vulnerability piece, I feel like sometimes folks, especially when I'm doing my coaching, they hear I should be allowed to be vulnerable. And therefore, if the company doesn't allow me to be vulnerable or, 
or if I'm vulnerable in a way that gets me like into a weird situation, that's not on me because I should be allowed to be vulnerable. And I'm in one of the ways that I could see this coming up. Um, and actually someone said this to me the other day, they said, um, I have ADHD. How do I bring that up in the first interview and let them know? And I go, well, this is a new question. Um, and so I mean, I gave him a response, but I'm curious, like when it comes to vulnerability, uh, you, you mentioned here, like vulnerability doesn't necessarily get you hired. Right. Um, and the job search might not be the place that you want to fully be yourself in some ways. Right. And so that like, this is sort of setting up the next question I want to ask is like, what is the professional version of ourselves that we should bring to, to the job search, right? Because it can't just be like, you know, whoever we are this morning, right? It has to be some sort of polished version of ourselves. But let's just start with the vulnerability piece. Could you go a little bit deeper into like the dangers of vulnerability in the job search? And maybe we can even pepper in some of the times where it's good. So I make this reference to job search being a sales process. I've made it on this call already. And I think the best salespeople are good at qualifying their customer. The best salespeople don't sell to anybody, right? They know who the best customer is for their product and they focus their time and energy on those people, right? If I'm a salesperson at a Ferrari dealership, like I know who my demo is, like I know who I'm selling to. And so I think that if they're clear on who their customer is, they should employ whatever tactic they can to filter out those customers. So if I want to be at an employer that is absolutely, you know, embracing and excited, like for my ADHD, then I'm going to bring that up. Now, obviously there's a context there that allows for me to do that. That means I've got financial security because that to, to sort of weather a job search to find that customer, right? Your customer might be one in the world or your customer you know, depending on the parameters or constraints that you put around what makes for the ideal customer. And so I think it's a person understand, and it comes with, the thing is there's a lot of nuance, right? And everyone wants just like the checklist. Just tell me yes, no, or give me permission to do this thing that I want to do. Mm -hmm. You know, but give me the yes, no. And like, the truth is it's not yes, no. It's about like an intentionality. What's your, what, what's your intention? Like, you want to be able to buy first-class tickets to go on vacations every weekend? Or are you cool to just like, live in a sparse apartment, you know, in the suburbs of somewhere, right? Those two things are very, very different. Neither is better, neither is worse. But both of those have implications in terms of the kind of life you want to live and the, and the kind of customers you need to get. Um, and I keep using money because it's the most measurable, right? There's other aspects of life, whether it's work-life balance, whether, you know, remote. What, what is it that facilitates the life you want to live? Put some parameters around that and then go, f then what you put out there is either going to attract or detract the kind of people you want to work with. So what I would tell people was like, look, if you need to make a paycheck tomorrow, and so you're, you're, you know, you're pretty open to who your employer is, then yeah, you know, you're going to want to put on a very like specific uh, kind of show on. But if you've got time and you can be patient and it's really important for you to find the right place, then you can be a little more open with what it is exactly you're looking for. And, but it's going to take time, right? That's just not going to happen as fast. So not like, you know, not a, a simple kind of yes, no answer, but I think it depends on, you know, the answer always kind of ends up being, it depends uh, yeah. on what the person's looking for and what they want. So that there may be a time where it actually makes sense, you know, but for a lot of people, it may not. And that's where I find a lot of this advice maybe goes wrong because they're giving advice that is true if you have the luxury to do it, but is not true if you're in an emergency mode where you need an income. And that I think is so interesting. It's like absolutely find a place that matches your values. If you have the luxury to number one, spend the time to figure out what your values are. Number two, spend the time to figure out what the company's values are. And number three, weed through hundreds of companies to find the one that fits perfectly, right? Um, and I kind of got into an argument with someone on LinkedIn about it because they're like, no, 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 no. You should always uh, expect a company to live your values. And I was like, yeah, 
if you have that luxury, you know, it, it really is a luxury sometimes. And it almost feels like your example of the Ferrari. It's like, everyone feels like they deserve a Ferrari career when they're not even sure, like, what the value of their role is and they're not even sure how to sell themselves and they, they're not even sure of themselves sometimes um and i'm i, I want to take this into uh the next or i guess one one more thing to add there is like if you do have something that you're bringing to a company like the person that asked that adhd question to sort of wrap that part up um i said are you going to them just saying i have adhd and just handing them the ball and seeing what happens like or are you going to them and saying, I have ADHD, here's how I manage it. And here's how it's like going with a, to your manager with a problem versus going to your manager with a solution, right? Um, have you seen that sort of mindset weed into people's brains as you've been working with them on their careers where it's like they have a list of problems that they want companies to solve rather than they know what their weaknesses are and they also are going with solutions? Where, where What have you seen in that sort of arena? I've seen it as, yeah, I mean, problems are like prerequisites they're kind of like the list of like non-starters um i've seen that you know and and you know i i get i it's different for every person on, on where they are but you know sometimes yeah just like these requirements that they have of their employer for me be like wow that that feels a little unreasonable but you know that's hard for me to say right because I'm not them and I don't know what's going on in, in their lives. And so it could be incredibly reasonable. They could already feel like they're compromising. Um, and that's, I mean, to a point you brought up, it's like, it's my general contention with a lot of career advice is that it's, it's what I would do, right? It's like, most of us go to our parents, we've got a great job. And we're like, I'm going to quit my job. They're like, wow, I would not do that. You know, it's like, yeah, but I'm miserable and I can afford it. I've been saving for months right. and months and months and months. And, I've, and I can do it. You know, if it's like, hey, I'm quitting, and I need you to cover my rent. Well, then I think then that's a different story, right? That's like, a, that's not advice anymore. And so I think a lot of people, they don't know all the ambitions and complexities in someone's mind. And they just say this is they without saying this is what I would do. They counsel in what would be right for them, which is also not even true, right? It's like, because sometimes when you watch them take their actions, they actually do something different. Right. And so I think there's a, like a, like a lack of empathy, like truly trying to understand what matters to this person. And that's why great coaches are so good about getting it out of the person and don't give advice. Right? I think great coaches don't give advice, you know, or they'll tell you like, okay, wait, like I used to work with a coach and say, pause now from having been a business owner and having been an executive, I'm giving you advice for a second. I'm taking off my coach hat. I'm giving you like ex executive advice for a second. But I think that distinction is really, really important. And a lot of people conflate those two, but people want advice, right? Because they want it, they're unsure. And so I think that, yeah, that's something I see a lot in, in job seekers is they're, they're kind of looking for, to be given clarity, then kind of like working through the difficulty that, that it takes uh, on like on yourself and the, the, the self-work you need to do to get to clarity. That's, that's exactly where I want to go next with these, these following three questions that I have for you. Um, without giving advice, because I think that's actually been one of the fun parts of this podcast is like, we're both dancing around saying anything concrete, because we're like, well, <laughs> it just depends on who you are, right? And it's like, and, and we're trying to like talk through these things. And one of the easiest ways to do it is to almost just critique what other people are saying to some degree. Um, but let's move into like, rather than tell someone what to do like oh i should should i um tell my employer all of my insecurities or should i not say anything at all like but instead of getting into that kind of a thing um let's just talk about how can people figure themselves out better because that's what i really enjoyed about the things that you're building where it's it's very much giving the tools to the seeker to figure themselves out and like the, the personality tests and things like that. And so when it comes to getting to know yourself, so this is a three-part question and I'll lay out the questions then we can take them one at a time. How does someone, or what are some of the ways that someone could get started learning about themselves? Then what are some of the ways that a person can start to understand their customer, AKA the ideal company? And then how do you bring those two things together into a meaningful career? So let's start with the themselves. 
how could someone begin that journey of understanding who they are and how they work so that they can actually make better decisions in their career moving forward? So I'm going to start with the non-obvious obvious answer is be willing to go on the journey. A lot of people say like, oh, I want to learn more about myself, but they really don't. Like, oh, I can take feedback, but they really can't. <laughs> you know, I want all the feedback, but they really don't. Right. And so I think it's, and I don't know, like when that switch flips, I can just kind of like observe it from the outside. But it's like, first is like, truly, truly want to go on this process of self-discovery and self-awareness um, and be open. I think people say they are, but they're closed. And then it just, it's combative and, and they don't really get anything out of it. So I'd say that's step one, again, sort of obvious, but worth, worth stating. Um, then like, there's lots of frameworks out there. So and I, I, I think it's valuable making a distinction between like advice and techniques, you know, get a little cute with language here, mm -hmm. because I think I can recommend techniques that are kind of like proven and to work. Um, so I think there's lots of frameworks. We made one, you know, um, and I think that people get too hung up on the framework. I think a lot of them, if you go down to the component parts, they're quite good. And again, because they kind of want to just like expedite to the end result, you know, and get, they get hung up on like being typecast or being put in a box. And again, that's not, that's more about like you being upset about being put in a box and less about engaging in the process of like, exploring that language to see which one of those attributes like truly describes you. And so I think once you can kind of agree to a language set that makes you feel good about like a, a mapping of yourself, then go engage with others. Right. And, and again, and understand those different contexts. How do I show up at work? Go ask a past colleague, like, all right, no, for real, tell me, what was it like to work with me? You know, when did I excel? When did you see me charged up? When did you see me kind of get bent out of shape? Go do it with your family, right? You're going to act different with them. Go do it with your friends and really engage in that sort of more journey of inquiry about yourself. If you want to use a test, go for it. You know, take it multiple times because I also think we change. Um, you know, think about the different contexts in which you take it. I just think too many people get caught up in like, like stumping the chump instead of being like, hey, you know what? Let me like trust fall into this thing and actually try to learn. It's just easier to put up the barriers and be like, well, this, this test is stupid because look, yeah, what about that? Or what about this situation? It's like, yeah. And that's, if it was like a science, they would just take my blood and tell me mm -hmm. like from my DNA, this is my personality, but there's a reason <laughs> that's not that. And we change, but you got to be willing to explore and learn. And so what I tell people is like, tr try to come up with like a taxonomy for understanding yourself. Because once you have words, you can then start to like navigate those words and, and, and what they mean. But without it, then it's just like super nebulous and, and you just have a blank slate. So that's why I think those things are really helpful. Um, any of them were Myers-Briggs, Strength Finder, Our Work Styles, DISC. You know, they're all trying to get to the same place as giving you a taxonomy to try to understand yourself. And I think that's helpful. I love that. Yeah, I, I personally got hit the hardest by the Enneagram. That was the one that like, <clears throat> I was like, damn, like, okay, that's some things to think about right there. And um, it's one of the things that I've actually gotten more and more comfortable with over time in talking to other people, because everyone has their own preferences too, right? And I think that that's an important piece. When I have people take personality tests in my coaching, I don't actually care what the result is. I care what their response to the result is. And that's really what yeah, I'm analyzing. Sense. I'm like, if you disagree with the test, that's just as important to me as, you know, thinking the test was the most accurate thing on the, in, on earth. And uh, this is where I'm challenging myself to be more open-minded to, to the variety of humans in the world where I'm like, some people are obsessed with like, you know, the, the, I, I, I paste a little attention. I don't even know what it's called. Uh, when they look at the stars, what, what is that? Astrology, right? Oh, astrology. Yeah. yeah. Like some people are really obsessed with it. And like <laughs> at a certain point I go, I used to just like roll my eyes, but now I go, well, wait, 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 wait. This is just their way of expressing how they feel. Okay. What can we pull out of that? Like, that's where I'm yep. like starting to become better at that kind of stuff too. And so 
Um, all right, so you you find a taxonomy, you find a language for expressing yourself, hugely important so that it's not just a blank canvas. Then we have to say, all right, here's who I am. And maybe that helps you understand why certain jobs sucked and certain jobs were a little better. And maybe that helps you understand what kind of work you're more suited for. I remember the first time I took strengths finders at work. They like, it was like a three-day thing and they printed it out, put it on your desk and you like, you know, tacked it up to the wall. And it said like, here's your five strengths, focus on those and ignore your weaknesses. And I go, well, all my strengths are things that aren't part of my job and all my weaknesses are everything that I do. And I'm like, can I change my job? And they're like, no. <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, but that's just a funny thing. And so now you know yourself, you've at least built a language around it to start that conversation. How do you get to know a company? Because they seem so tough to crack. They all have these mission statements. They all kind of sound the same in some way, shapes or forms. There's a lot of hype around companies. You know, I'll talk to someone who is desperate to work at Google. And then the next call is someone desperate to get out of Google, right? So how could you actually go about understanding a company, understanding like the bottom line business aspects of a company and maybe getting that sort of real insight rather than the marketing messages? Yeah, so it's hard. And I think companies, I love companies. I've, I've I just think companies are the coolest thing ever. Um, and these organisms with all sorts of different nuances and complexities and they're the, you know, and, and so I think it's, look, you, you have a marketing background. I've done a bit of marketing. You have to almost like segment them, right? You got to start to categorize them. And I think if you treat them unilaterally as one, it's going to be really, really hard. Um, you know, so you have to be mindful of like what, what, What's the environment? I think like in between company and individual is like some ideas of environment. What is that context in which I'm going to like deploy my services? And if a company is small, then the company might be like the right unit for a context. But if a company is big, then it's really the team level, right? At Google, it probably matters more what team you're on than the fact that you work at Google, right? Sure, there's like some global HR policies, not even global, they probably change per country, that, you know, those are going to attract a certain kind of people, which then will obviously, you know, trickle down into the team that you're on. But some companies are far more autonomous. I forget who I was talking to the other day. Like, oh, the company I work at, each team operated as like its truly own atom, like atomic unit or autonomous unit. Um, so I think, you know, talking to people is one of the best ways, you know, informational interviews, reaching out to people. A lot of people oftentimes want to talk about their company. Um, you know, this is why I think relationships are really, really important and people should do a better job of managing, managing them and, and tending to them because it's people. Talk to people that were there. And you know, also, also companies change. So I think people should be mindful of that and you want to understand like what it's there like now. Like when CEOs change, you know, Microsoft under now, under Satya versus Steve Ballmer, very, very different companies. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think having an understanding of the leadership, I, I do think companies, like I worked at WeWork, there's a lot of stuff out there now, like there was a lot of attributes that came directly from the CEO and the founders and, you know, that, that sort of seeped into the company for better or for worse. Some people really liked it, some people not so much, right? For all like the negative stuff that people want to say about the company, there were people that had the time of their life while they were yeah. there. And it was super fun. Right. And for others, it was off-putting. And so I think it's look at the leadership, look at what the leadership does. Even if it's a public company or a small little startup, I think looking at the leadership of the company is really important. Is it still founder-led or has that been like swapped out? Um, you can still be a big company and founder-led or family-run, right? Those things are going to make a big, big difference. Um, and I would say start at the top and understand. And those things, the way that those folks act, right? Like, you know, Richard Branson, like he runs a company, like his companies have a certain attitude about them because he runs them. And so I'd say, look at the people. Like at the end of the day, that's the stuff that affects you. And there's a reason they say people leave managers, not companies. Like look at the people and then, you know, depending on the size of the organization, try to understand, you know, the, the people that run those levels of the organization. So if you're in marketing, understand who the CMO is. You know, if you're going to be in demand marketing, understand who like their head of performance marketing is. Like, 
and try to learn what you can about the people that set the culture for the context you're going to be in. And I'm glad you brought up that word culture, because I think it's one of those things that everyone talks about, but job seekers don't really understand. I think they know, like, I'm supposed to fit into the culture, but this is where the company, the personal and the company come together, right? That's the culture, right? And so in the third part of this question, which is how do you actually merge the two into a meaningful career? A lot of that involves culture. What do you think... um, where do you think the two come together? So I've got a good view of myself. I have a good understanding of these companies. Is it just like Lego pieces going together or like where is the negotiation and what are the expectations that people should have going into these things? So I think where it comes together, what I called the context earlier, maybe let me re- rephrase that is the context is the role, the job. There's like person, company, job is the thing that brings those two together. And this, the, a job, let's take product manager, like the most nebulous title ever, right? In different contexts is very, very different, right? In some companies, the product manager might be expected to like wireframe and, and like put out a lot of ideas and, and set the vision and strategy for a product. At other companies, they may say, hey, look, design drives all that stuff. Your job here as product manager is to execute. And for different people, right? I think we we all think we want to be jack of all trades. And I think we have this discomfort, which goes back to the personality stuff is like people have really uncomfortable getting put in a box. Right? I, uh, you know, like one question that I ask a lot of people is, are you a starter or a finisher? And almost always, I'm both. It's like, you're not, right? Like, okay, 51%, 49% which one goes where, and then maybe I can get people to go there, right? But like even knowing that about yourself, like for myself, I am far more charged up like starting things and it takes me a disproportionate amount of energy to finish things. Mm -hmm. Obviously I can do it, but like as soon as it gets a little harder, like, hmm, what's that next thing I could do? (laughs) You know, like what's that next project I could start? And we all, and it's so easy how people can identify it in others, but not in themselves. Right. It's like, oh yeah, that person never finishes a thing. Or, boy, it's really hard to get that person to self-initiate and come up with new ideas. And it's not because they're bad or good, right? We have all this language like, oh, that I'm, I'm a get things done kind of person, or I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an ideas person. It, they affect our identity. But at the end of the day, if you really remove that and say, look, they just don't matter, we are, there's environments in which we naturally excel. That may not mean I enjoy it. Right. That's the other kind of distinction is like, there's just stuff I'm talented at that I don't like doing. Um, but having that level of like awareness and comfort with that, then you can actually shape it. So it's like, look, I'm a product manager. I'm naturally better at getting things done, but I want to build muscles at ideating. Okay, cool. Now you can now you know what you're working with and you can actually give yourself some tools and techniques. Okay, so if I'm going to be a product manager that's got to like ideate, that means I'm going to have to be go meeting with customers. You know, I I might have a more natural introversion, but I'm going to have to be a little more extroverted about that. Let me employ some techniques to do it. But I've decided I want to do that. Like I I, I was deliberate, like I made the decisions. And okay, then if it doesn't work, no problem. But at least they felt in control of it. And so I think like the more you understand yourself, the more like deliberate and in control you can be about how you shape your career. And that's too many people fall into like a victim mindset. It's like, oh, well, this is what happened. It's like, no, you probably could have guessed it. Like if you went into it and you asked the right questions, you could have understood that you weren't going to be in like driving the vision and strategy for this product because you just would have asked who gets to do that here. How's that happen? And then you could say, oh, actually, no, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm the kind of person who loves being given an idea and taking it to the finish line. I love it. And then there's other people who say they don't like it. So I think the more people can be clear with themselves about what's the stuff that they enjoy, that energizes them, then the easier it is to find it. The other thing that I like is like being clear what matters to you so that, because I see people like make the switch and then they're still miserable. Yeah. Oh, every day. Like there's a guy I work with in one of our coaching groups and like, you know, he just wanted a job. He wanted, he, so he got this job and it's like, honestly, the job's fine. Mm-hmm. 
he's just like not happy with the way the companies run and the amount of information they provide for him. And it's like, all right. You know, I was like, I don't like what they said at the all hands. And so it's, it's, it's the point you made, like what people expect from their job, like a topic we didn't get into that, um, well, it's actually a totally separate topic, but like what, to your point, like what people expect from their jobs is almost, I almost like feel bad for a lot of the companies out there. Cause it's just not reasonable. Right. And you got to imagine, like, if they're going to do that for you, they have to do that for the 500 other employees too. And that's insanity. Like, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and then the other thing that we kind of got to in, in podcast, but it's like, I want this from the company and it's like, okay, but like, how is the company going to pay for that? Like, how is it going to be right. a possibility? And like, um, the, this is like the entitlement side where it's like, I talk to him like, what kind of an industry do you want to work in? I don't know. What kind of title do you right. want? I don't know. What do you, what are you good at? Uh, kind of these things. Okay. How does that help a business make money? What? Okay. What do you want from a company? This, 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 this. And it's like, I agree with you. I like companies. I have, because I'm on both sides, it's just like, it's fun to be like, agreeing with both and disagreeing with both at the exact same time like i'm like yes you should be able to have a job that you like also you're totally entitled and full of yourself yes you should be able to get (laughs) employees that are great and are dedicated but if you are like you should never expect your employees to work as hard as you the founder because they don't own the company like you do and so it's like i've worked at companies where like (laughs) actually one of the companies i worked at and by the way jump off you gotta run um but I was working at a company and the onboarding was like so bad. Like I was remote and whatever, but I was flown into, uh, to the office and I get there and I'm like, you know, all this, I'm, I'm just like in a weird place. Cause you're, you know, staying in like a motel and whatever. <laughs> and the, uh, the CEO goes like, okay, everyone has to like introduce themselves. We like every week, the new people would have to introduce themselves in front of the whole company on like Skype and everything in the room with a hundred people, you have to introduce so yourself, say something interesting about yourself and then talk up, give a presentation on one of your talents. So like people would bring in food that they made or like do karate or like do all these different things. And for the last Crazy. 12 years, all I'd been doing is like building my startup and it didn't work like, like working and working on my side projects. And so everything that I did was work-based. I had no hobbies. I had like nothing outside of work. And so they're like, okay, bring in your hobby. And I was like, what? I don't, <laughs> I don't have any interest other than literally working. Like, I don't know what to do. And so I like did some improv game or something. And the CEO was like, well, uh, I guess we're really lowering the bar on, on talents. And I was like, I'm going to quit this company someday. <laughs> I was like, day one, I was like, but that's the kind of stuff. And like that, that founder ended up being a total kook, but like, you know, by the, by the end of it, everyone was like, you built this company on values that you don't live, but it's just like, it is so funny. I worked in one of those. Right. And it's so funny to like, you know, be on the, on the, on the employee side and be like, yes, I want to advocate you because I've been in that position, but then also be like, no, now you've gone too far. And now I agree with my parents. (laughs) It's like, it's like there's got to be a happy medium between the two, and I appreciate your perspective. Yeah, the, 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 the entitlement's the right word, and I, I think like deserve is a super. It's just such a dangerous word. Mm-hmm. I don't really think most people deserve anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we earn it. Yes, and and, and look, I, I I I feel like I can say with confidence that coming from a mindset of earning is more productive than a mindset of deserving. So whether you actually deserve it or not, if you just approach the world and like, I need to earn everything, things get a lot easier. Yeah. Right? There's, there's a lot less disappointment when I feel like I deserve. That's like the key. You end up being a victim. Yeah. And it's hard, but I see a lot of that. I see it. And I don't know if it's generational, like the lazy me just wants to blame it on Gen Z and stuff. But there's plenty of generations of people just feel like they deserve it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and it, I, it's like, you don't deserve anything. Like, they deserve, you know, I deserve this. It's like, no, the company pays you a salary. You don't, 
I deserve vacation. It's like, if it was a policy that you earned it, you don't deserve it. You know, it's even like this unlimited vacation stuff. People get super pissed off and they want to blame the companies. It's like, it's your fault. You didn't take it. Mm -hmm. Don't get mad at the policy. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah. A hundred percent. And like, (laughs) and that's like, it's so funny as I get older, I'm like, you know, in my, when, when my parents said like career suicide, I was like, you don't understand. But at the same time, I'd also saved up 30 K. So like I'd earned the ability to quit a job. Like, and like, and, and that, that like, it's, it's so funny as I get older, I'm like, shit, I'm agreeing with them. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I always find that so funny. It's like, I'm still holding on to some of that, like millennial idealism, but I'm like, also like growing up and like, it's, it is so interesting to just see people and um, and then to see it like show up in different, and I don't think it's generational. Like I, I actually, I work with 60 year olds who have these mindsets. I work with, you know, people who are 55 who are like, I just don't understand why this company won't give me a chance. I'm like, you literally don't know how to answer the question. Tell me about yourself. So I'm not sure what you want me to say to you. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to agree with you, but like, you can't answer a simple question. I can't, I can't advocate for you on that like point. And so, oh man, dude, I, I feel like I could talk to you about for like six hours about this stuff. So we'll leave it there. Um, I'd love to uh, give you some space here to let people know what you have going on and where they can find out more. Yeah, so uh, Dave Fano, you can find me on Twitter at David Fano. That's probably where I'm most active, but least career centric. If you want career content, I'm on LinkedIn in slash David Fano. And then the, the company that I've uh, founded and run with an incredible team, is called Teal, uh, T-E-A-L, like the color, HQ.com. And we exclusively make tools for job seekers. Um, it's what we're, we're trying to do something that's really not been done before. We don't sell to employers. We're not like a recruiting service. We're not a job board. We're trying to create like truly consumer-centric career growing tools um, and working through it. We're, we're a venture-backed startup, so we have the luxury of getting to try different things and have fun with it. But so far, it's awesome. We've had you know, I think we just crossed 17,000 people have signed up for the platform. Whoa, congrats. There's a personality test. There's a, like a job search CRM. And um, we just love getting feedback to, to make it awesome. We really want to sort of supercharge the consumer with the same kind of infrastructure the companies have. That's awesome. Everyone go check it out. And David, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today about meaningful careers. I really think it's given a lot of folks plenty to chew on (laughs) it's a lifelong goal right but um this is this is a cool starting point for them so thanks so much for joining us today thanks for having me i really appreciate it thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today i really appreciate your support of what we're building here at career therapy as we continue to try and explore the hidden side of modern work and tell some of the stories that maybe don't get enough light shed on them. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, I hope you will leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, Subscribe to this wherever you're listening or watching on YouTube, Spotify, etc. And uh, share this with some friends who you know are going through similar experiences and looking to build their career and, and gain some insights along the way. Again, thank you so much for stopping by, and I wish you the best. I'll see you on the next episode.